0: Well, I'm pulling double duty this morning, if you'll allow me. (laughs) Some of the staff is actually traveling. Uh, I know Charles is checking in his kiddos to college, I think, this weekend. Uh, So prayers for Charles as he makes the travel back and forth. Um, But yeah, I I cherish the uh, opportunity to be able to preach every now and then. And this morning, you're stuck with me. So thanks for, for being patient. I want to start with a question what words would you use to describe God what metaphors come immediately to mind that help you imagine what God is like Can you think about those this mental exercise is naming God by the images we have learned in order to make God more real and accessible to us you might have learned these through Bible study, or maybe they're handed down by your parents, or maybe like me, you, lo- you learn your images for God through songs. I mean, that has been the goal, right? Since as far back as we can see, humans have been trying to understand God by assigning language to and naming what is the infinite unknowable creator of all that is. And while this is a seemingly impossible task, it's necessary for the relationship. We have to recognize that language is important because it shapes our beliefs. And those beliefs will dictate how we live out our lives. British hymn writer Brian Wren writes in his book, What Language Shall I Borrow, that if our naming of God is distorted, our knowledge of God will be also distorted. If our naming of God is distorted, then our knowledge of God will be also. If that is true, then it begs the question, is your naming of God, that is your image for God, distorted? And who's to really know, honestly? But as Christians, I believe we should be about the discipline of spring cleaning, if you will, to rid ourselves of outdated and what I see as harmful language. To be more precise, I believe that there are certain ways in which we've named God over the years and the metaphors that we've adopted that are problematic at best and at worst have driven people completely away from the Christian faith. And This is why I'd like to spend some time looking at this over a three-part series in the next three months. I only preach once a month, so you'll need to make sure that you're present for that one particular week in order to get the full series. But first, I want to, this morning, recognize that metaphors are helpful, even necessary. It forms in us a picture of God that we can relate to. And just so we're on the same page, a metaphor is using a word or a phrase for one thing that is used to refer to another thing in order to show that they are similar. Life is a roller coaster, or someone has a heart of gold. These are metaphors. Obviously the concept of a deity is a great mystery. It's not something that can be fully known. It is an intangible, too vast to wrap our finite brains around. So language like similes and metaphors are instructive. They give us a way of wrapping flesh around some of our deepest convictions of what we believe God is. A recent study was done by a scientific journal that looked into the way people use metaphors to conceptualize God. The survey, uh, study surveyed nearly 3,000 undergraduates in the US, mostly who were uh, religious in some context. And the study revealed a pattern where a vast majority of people described God using anthropomorphic language which is expressing something that is non-human, like a deity, an event, or an animal, in human terms. Some said God is powerful, God is male, He is the Father, He is the bearded man in the sky. And really, every attempt at naming or describing God is borrowed from human experience. It's all we know this study though also revealed the overly maleness of our depictions of god in a society that values masculinity over feminine qualities this i believe is a theological problem this perhaps has been the main culprit for turning many away from the god of the bible and even church in our time see god is not male and to suggest so only diminishes the creator and causes us to miss out on a wealth of God's true character. This leaves us with a distorted knowledge of the divine. And what I wanna do is make a call for more life-giving, expansive metaphors, ones that enliven our imagination rather than box it in with needless baggage. So toward that end, I wanna take a look at some of our most common, but I believe troublesome metaphors this morning lord and king early christians risked persecution to call god and jesus words like lord and king in their efforts to establish a new hierarchy in the world no longer were the christians praying to these earthly rulers but they were praying for them they were renouncing their dominion over their lives and submitting to the authority of god above all we read in the bible where jesus is called the king of kings and the lord of lords This would have been a strong statement against empire and language chosen on purpose. We could see how in the patriarchal context of the New Testament, using such metaphors for God were immediately relevant and helping to reimagine a new reality and set up a new power structure. What I'm suggesting that in our times, these archaic metaphors might be more problematic than helpful. For one, this ancient system of hierarchies is no longer relevant. We aren't ruled by kings and lords. Those terms don't mean a lot to us now. Secondly, kingly metaphors have overtones of coercion. Kings ruled by force and they were merciless against their enemies, an extreme top-down model. And those under them were either blessed or discarded depending on how you were seen in the eyes of the king. It's a model based on fear and intimidation. Also, an almighty, kingly God suggests a need for complete control, yet our world is understood, certainly in scientific circles, as one of beautiful randomness, chance, and free will. As Caroline reminded us last week, we better understand in our time that we play a part of an ongoing process of creation with the choice to partner in its preservation or to recklessly tear it all down. There's a beautiful choice there that we have to make. It's hard to argue for a control-hungry God. Just try explaining the Holocaust or natural disasters under the reign of a God that needs full control. These events and others make an all-powerful king God look weak and even non-existent. Scientists and philosophers like Nietzsche and Richard Dawkins have easily thrown out the nature of a deity based on the premise of a controlling God. And the God I see is more dance partner than king. When I think about what metaphors to teach my kids about their creator are images of royalty, the ones that I go to. In their world, kings and lords only exist in fairy tales. You could see how teaching them about God using kingly and warrior metaphors might be confusing. Or take a church visitor who didn't grow up with all the Christian lingo. What are they to do with archaic, overly masculine and kingly metaphors for God? It could be jarring and even uninviting. I recently purchased a book entitled What is God Like by Rachel Held Evans. You might have seen this one or you may own it. It was published after she tragically passed away recently. The metaphors she uses for God are inspiring. In one, she writes, God is like a river, constant and life-giving. When you grow near God, you'll sprout up as strong as a tree. I like that. When I read that to my kids, I wonder all the places that their imaginations will take them when they think about the God that loves them. When I think on this kind of image, I'm not drawn to envision a a white, power-hungry male, the bearded man in the sky. No, here, God is more verb than noun, and that feels life-giving to me. There's great freedom in thinking of God as simply the source, the breath of life, light, and love, our ground of being that is the very essence of being itself. To better understand the nature of God, we use Jesus as our lens. When we look at Jesus, we see a humble servant, not a kingly figure, wielding a scepter, regardless of what historic white European painters might have suggested to the contrary. Jesus, who told Peter to put away your sword when his accusers came to arrest him in the garden. Jesus, who the religious wanted as their new earthly king, rode into Jerusalem, not on a horse of war, but a lowly donkey. You see, amidst all the shouts of Hosanna that day, we might miss that this was on purpose. He knew everyone would be gathered during such a high season, and he wanted to send a clear message about what the realm of God truly looks like. Power through service, overcoming by love. He was not trying to be their king. As Jesus met with his disciples at the Last Supper, he said, Who is greater right here as we eat this meal? Those of us who sit at this table or those who serve us? Doesn't everyone normally assume those who are served are greater than those who serve? But consider my role among you. I have been with you as a servant. He told them this after he stooped down with a towel around his waist, and he washed their dirty feet as they entered the upper room. Jesus also said, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other. Jesus, who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It was Jesus who, on the cross of his crucifixion, prayed for the forgiveness of his murderers who do not know what they do. In Jesus, we don't see a kingly, controlling figure We see strength through humility. We see victory by sacrifice. And when I fall short, when I mess up, there is no fear of a controlling ruler who hands down judgment and punishment to keep me in line. For me, it's a fall into lavish grace. If anything, it's an overwhelming acceptance, more feminine than masculine. Another metaphor, Father. In the New Testament, Jesus called God Father, which established God as the head of this new Christian community. This would help keep would-be leaders from rising up and claiming themselves as the head. In this patriarchal society, saying that God was the Father was saying that God held the highest position of authority. This was Jesus speaking the language of the time. And we too might make that claim of authority in God's position in our own lives. But traditional family structures and even male dominated systems have begun to break down in our society. You can understand that some are uncomfortable with yet another masculine metaphor for the creator. This is especially so for those that might have had a troublesome or maybe even abusive or even a non-existent relationship with their earthly fathers. In our family, we preach equality and teamwork. In our most healthy models of our society, we see partnership and collaboration and empowerment. In today's family makeup, we champion families of all looks, designs, and structures. Is calling God Father wrong? I don't think so, but it's certainly not as expansive a metaphor of God for me and perhaps for others feels pretty limiting it carries all the patriarchal baggage that we've worked so hard to dismantle if father is a troublesome metaphor for you consider others like the one we find in Luke thirteen thirty four. Jesus when he was teaching the crowd said Jerusalem Jerusalem how often I wanted to gather in your children as a hen gathers in her chicks under her wings but you are not willing to come to me God here is mother hen wanting to shield her people under the assurance and the warmth of her wings. And on many days, that feels just about right. Another metaphor, master. Maybe the most obviously problematic metaphor for God is master. Our image of a master is colored by the world's evil history of slavery since the time of the Old Testament and before. Having mastery over people has included harsh working conditions as well as unfair and inhumane treatment. Using a master metaphor for God is not only inaccurate, it's harmful for many. The master-servant relationship was very prominent in ancient times. This may surprise you, but even the Bible condones the use of slaves so long as they're treated properly. And we look nowhere else in the fact that Solomon's temple, the very house of God, was built by slaves. And obviously we know now that this was simply the cultural context in which the Bible was written and not God's forever design. The picture of God or Jesus as master would have been an immediately relevant image of authority and submission. But you don't need me to tell you how troubling that metaphor is as we use it today. Yet still, songs calling God and Jesus master litter our hymnals They're all over our worship resources. To better understand the nature of God and the problem with this, we use Jesus as our lens. Masters use oppression to keep people in their place at the end of their whip, but Jesus says, whoever believes in me will be able to do what I have done, but they'll do even greater things. We hear his words that the first shall be last and the last first. Jesus didn't use his masculinity to oppress and overwhelm. He lounged at the same level of a woman, which was taboo in those days, to be anointed by fragrant perfume. Not a very masculine situation, if you know what I mean. When we look at Jesus, it's hard to see God as a master. No, we know God to be unconditional love, God is service, self-sacrifice, and empowerment. God rushes to the sound of the needy. God didn't lord it over us, as the Bible says, but stooped to our lowly level in the form of a Jewish baby born in Bethlehem. That's why we call it the good news. In Psalm 8, 5, it says that God honors us like royalty, crowning us with glory and honor. In John 17, Jesus says that all the glory he received from God was given to us, that we would be unified. This is a God that shares the divine glory with us and even crowns us. That's the life-giving relationship model that God established. This morning, you might be saying to yourself, Pastor Mike, why are you telling all this about metaphors and language we use in songs? Aren't you in the worship teams the one that chews the music each week? Yeah, that's, that's true, but you are the ones who will go out from here counseling your friends who are going through the hardest of times. It's us that will be teaching our kids about what images we give them of, of God. We are the ones who will be looking for some truth, some image in which to find peace in our most darkest hours so what language will we give them what metaphors will we call to mind that lead to life i think this this need to look into language and metaphor kind of came to mind to me in the last couple weeks because i can't tell you the countless number of times that i've spoken with friends and family over the years going through some really difficult situations And they'll cite a metaphor or a phrase for God that just sounds simply untrue and so damaging. And I just scratch my head many times thinking, if you truly believe that about the God that designed this very life, why would you in turn worship a God like that? There are some that spend their lives deconstructing these images and constructs of God that were handed to them as younger people that caused endless shame and guilt instead of leading them into abundant life. Sometimes they deconstruct and they come back to church with a new understanding of a a life-giving God. Sometimes, and probably I would say most of the time, they don't come back at all. It's done too much damage. So in the next sermon of this Words for Life series, I want to spend some time looking at healthy metaphors for God in hard times. I hope that that'll be a help to you as it has been to me in some of my most difficult seasons in life. That'll be sometime into February, so, you know, TBD, but uh, I, I want to offer those thoughts to you because, honestly, it's probably, be, it's probably been one of the things that have saved my love of church and, overall, my love of God, um, having these healthy views of who God is in my life. I want to call the worship team back up in closing, and as they get situated, I want to just point out that Jesus said, when you look at me, you see God. I think we should take his advice. If a picture or metaphor metaphor for God doesn't resonate with what we see in Jesus, it might not be worth holding on to. Can we understand God as a king or a ruler or Lord or Father? Certainly, I I think we can, and perhaps more so for those of us that grew up with that kind of language in the church, but is it worth the extra baggage that that might bring? Maybe not. Are these the images of the Creator we should use to counsel our feminist friend, our atheist neighbor, the agnostic church visitor, our young children? I would say there are likely better ones dare I say, even new ones. I believe a metaphor is a gift to be given. What words will we give that lead to life? And what language will we borrow? Amen. Let's pray. Our God, our river, constant and life-giving, lead us to greater visions and imaginations of who you are not so that we can have you all figured out, but so that we might love you more, even in the mystery. Give us new words, new metaphors that open us up to all that you are. Mothered in the arms of your ever-loving care, we now pray. Amen.